let's go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. I want to ask a question, just a, um, not a theological question, but a practical question. Um, Can anybody tell me, uh, it's not a trick question, but it's for information. How long can a person, a human person, human person, If you know of another kind of person, let me know. (laughs) How long can a person go without water before they die or they're in bad? How many? About three days. Everybody agree about three days? Longer? Anybody else? A month. How many of you say a month? (laughs) Well, I looked on the Internet because I was curious about this question. And and it said that it... it, uh, that may vary depending on the environment. In a hot, dry desert, a person may not last more than a day or two. In a very humid climate, you might be able to last up to seven days at most. Under normal conditions, the average is about three days. Ish. Three days. So three, seven, or whatever. I was just curious about that. I got one, thanks. Uh, I was curious about that, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Exodus chapter 15. We'll get to that in a second. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we do position our hearts right now to receive from you. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us your word. So that we could apply it to our lives and walk more effectively to serve your kingdom. Thank you for your word, O oh God, that it is, it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, it is effective. And Lord, we receive your word today. And just as our brother was saying earlier, Cornell, that we brush aside the cares and the distractions, we brush those things off right now. And we put our focus on you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And we thank you for opportunities like this when we can intentionally draw close to you, to learn of you. So we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I heard that the computer crashed, and that's why we had the different look on our words this morning. Does that mean we are not online this morning? Oh, wow. Man, we got to. Okay, reason why I was asking because I was our brother um, Morgan is not here with us. He got stuck in, I think, Dallas. And I was texting him this weekend and he said um, not able to be here because his truck broke down. So he's stuck somewhere getting that fixed. But he said he was going to be watching online. So if the online is not working, then I guess he won't be watching online. But if he is, if we get it up, let me know and we might give a shout out to Morgan. Kind of mess with him a little bit. Uh, Anyway. Exodus chapter 15. And what I want to talk about this morning, you know, I was thinking that it's been going on two years since we started the transition um, with Pastor Dale and myself of us changing places, changing position as far as me becoming the, the senior pastor. Because it was in uh, September 9th 
at the Elder Share Night almost two years ago that we made the announcement that that's, that's where we were heading. So it's been about two years um, that we've been going through the process of transition as a church body. And what I want to talk about today is three keys to navigating through transition well. And I noticed last year about this time, it was right after the missions conference, I shared a message on transition. Some, I shared some thoughts about transition. And so if you, when the archives do go back that far, so if you want to go back to January, uh, excuse me, July 17th, I believe, you can, you can look, download and listen to that. But I w- I've been thinking about transition for the last three weeks again. And, um, and so I just want to talk about it. I feel like the Lord just put some things in my heart to share with us as a body. Because transition is something, it's a normal part of life. It's, uh, we all go through transition. Now, we go through transition as, as a church body. You know, we're going through the change as far as the uh, pastorship's going, as far as the worship has, gone, has been going, is going. That's, that's been a big transition. But there's all, all kinds of things going on in the church that's changing. And I bet you, if I were to ask you to raise your hands, uh, but I don't need to because I already know the answer, to ask you how many of you are going through personal transition? Personal change. Now, you don't need to raise your hands. I already know the answer. <laughs> and what I mean by transition, let me define that. Transition basically is another word for change, going through change. And I was thinking about kind of a definition that I put on transition. It's like the place in between two locations. Like a hallway, like if you have a room and then a hallway, then another room, the hallway would represent the transition because to get from one room to the next, you have to go through the hallway. And so um, it's also a place you're not where you was, but you're not where you're going to be. Kind of in that in-between place when you're going through transition, you're not where you was, you already left, you're not in the same place and you're moving, but you're not yet where you're going to be. And so that can be a. A transition. Um, also, a transition can be a place of challenge. It can be a play, It can be a trial that you're going through, and in that position where you haven't received your answer yet. You know, when you're in a situation when you need God's help, you need provision, you need wisdom, you need deliverance, you need something from the Lord to help you. In other words, if He doesn't show up, you're in trouble. And so you can be in that place where you're still waiting for him to respond, waiting for that provision to come. And so that place can be a place of transition as well. Also, transition can be uh, changing of seasons in your life. How many of you realize that as you grow and as you just go through life, you go through different transitions or different changes? For example, you may have gone from single to marriage. Also, that's a whole new situation, ain't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You may go from being married, no children, to having children. Anything you guys want to tell me yet? Okay. <laughs> just, just checking. <laughs> so you, you may go from not having children to having children. How many of you parents know that that's a huge change? You know, you're enjoying sleep all through the night, loving life, and all of a sudden you hear, you wake up from that dream and reality hits you. Um, and, and you can go from having children, young, uh, having children to having numerous children, you know, a bunch of children, young children. 
And you realize that, oh, my goodness, whoa, what has happened to life here? Or having young children to teenagers. (laughs) Big transition, big change. I wouldn't know anything about that, but I heard that can be changed. That can be challenging. I've heard. And then you can have, you know, children to empty nesters. You know, where all of a sudden your children are moving out, they're gone, and, and now it's just you and your spouse. And it's like, whoa, what happened to everything? You know, we, we have six children. Yes, you can pray for me. I, I accept that. We have six children, and when we had our six kids, all six of our kids, it was loud and boisterous and loud and, and, and active and loud and just loud in our house. And now we have two less children, and it's still active, but it's like, Man, it's so quiet in here. And it's not now you might come to my house and say, whoa, it's not so quiet, you know, but it's just amazing how change just you know, two children leaving. And then you may have go from empty nesters to all of a sudden being grandparents. And that's a big change. And all these changes bring different challenges and different circumstances in your lives. And, and you, your life is the way you used to do things. You can't do things like that anymore. And sometimes we can get frustrated because we want to continue to live life the way we're used to. But our circumstances dictate that things have to change. And if we don't learn to navigate and go along and make the changes wisely, then we can get very frustrated and discouraged. You know, you may be you might have been in a season of life when you were heavily in ministry. You were doing a lot of things for the kingdom. And all of a sudden you have kids. And you still feel that pull, that desire to do those things for the kingdom, but you feel the pull of your children that you have to take care of. And if you don't recognize that that's a season, that the Lord is bringing you a a season of change into your life, and if you don't recognize that season and know how to respond properly, then you can get very frustrated, very discouraged, come under condemnation, thinking that you're supposed to continue to do things the way you were doing them, but you're not able to, and so you can get under this condemnation. And that's not of the Lord. And so we, it is important for us to recognize the changes, the, the change of seasons and, and all that. Does that mean we're on? Okay. If, Morgan, if you are seeing this, I want you to send me a text. Okay? Okay. If your name's not Morgan, don't send me a text. All right. And so what I want to talk about today, I want to talk about three keys to navigating through transition well. Because every single one of us, if I ask you to raise your hand, could admit that you're going through some kind of change or some kind of a transition. And see, the Lord wants to bring you into something better, something more, so you can be more fruitful. Now, better, our definition of better may not match God's definition of better. But I can promise you that any time the Lord brings you into a new season, it is better. It is His will, His desire for you, so that is, that is better. And to people, it may not look better. It may look worse. It may look like a demotion instead of a promotion from the Lord. And so we are all going to go through transition. God wants to take us into our next season so we can be more effective for His kingdom. So we're all going to go through transition, but He wants us to go through it well. And I want to ask you, how are you doing right now in your seasons? Because you may be going through multiple seasons even of transition. How are you doing right now? You know, just think about it. Concerning the church, 
the things that's going on in the church, the changes. Some of the changes you're probably cool with. Some of the changes you probably don't like. You may have, be having a hard time with it. But how are you doing in that? In your seasonal changes of life, how are you doing? How are you navigating through those changes? When you're going through a hard time, and I, I don't know if I said this yet, but you know, a lot of times when you're going through a season of transition, inside that transition are multiple challenges, or we may call them trials, hardships. In other words, things come and begin to happen that we're not too excited about. And if I'm, if I'm going through a trial or a, a transition, am I given... Do I have the excuse not to honor or do I have the excuse to disobey God just because I'm going through a hard time? Now I'm asking that you can answer me. Do I have an excuse not to honor or to disobey God? No, I don't. But how often do we feel like uh, we are justified in our grumbling and complaining? We are justified in our ranting and raving because... I'm going through a hardship, and you people don't understand. And we have to be careful because going through a trial doesn't mean, okay, I have license to grumble and complain. The Bible says do all things without grumbling and complaining. Doesn't it? Philippians chapter 2, I believe. Do all things, so that means all things in all situations, without grumbling and complaining. So if you can find a situation that's other than all then you have a right to grumble and complain. If you can't find another situation, then, then you don't. Anyway, let's look at Exodus chapter 15. And today I want to talk about three keys. Three keys to navigating through transition well. Now, we know the story. We're all familiar with the story of uh, Moses helping the children of Israel get away from Pharaoh and bondage and, and um, you know, slavery. God used him to deliver his people. And they, you know, all the plagues and all the stuff that they had to go through for Pharaoh to finally let them go. And then they, they're, um, they cross the Red Sea. Well, Pharaoh changed his mind, so all the people are chasing them. Because they're going to wipe them out. Or bring, they're either going to kill them or they're going to bring them back to uh, slavery. They're going to do something that's not good. And the people are afraid. They're freaking out because they see the chariots and coming behind them. Well, then we all know the story. The Red Sea parts. Children of Israel cross through on dry land. And then Pharaoh's guys try to go through and then they get wiped out. Anybody familiar with that story? All right. And then after that. Chapter 15, verse 1. Here's what happens after that. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. 
Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. Let's look down in verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Verse 14. The people will hear and be afraid. Now listen. They, they told, they're praising God for what he just did. He just delivered them from Pharaoh and all his cohorts, right? And now here comes, I believe, kind of a prophetic thing that they're declaring what's about to happen. Verse 14, the people will hear of what just happened and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take a hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over. Whom you have purchased, you will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went, into, went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels with dance and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So their response was, after that huge miracle, probably the, well, would say the biggest miracle manifestation that has happened, that happened up to that time. And they were basically saying the whole world's going to know about this. And so God did this wonderful thing. And they begin to have a big praise session. The first key is praise is huge. Praise and worshiping God is huge. It is huge. It is huge. It is huge. Say one more time. It is huge. It's extremely important. Now, let's read on. Here's something interesting. So Moses brought Israel into the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness. Of sure. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Everybody say three days. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Probably didn't say it that calmly, though. So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance to them, and there he tested them. Now, and then we see, we read on, and then all of a sudden we see all the, uh, the challenges that the children of Israel went through. And we see their history of grumbling, complaining, whining, and crying, and saying, Oh, God, you brought us out here to die. Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? Everything would have been cool. Even though they had been crying out for 400 years to be set free from Egypt, then when they get set free... And are experiencing some challenges, they want to go back. But here's what I saw was interesting because we've, we've had heard many stories about this situation. Moses, the children of Israel, grumbling and griping, complaining. 
And we all say, yes, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. But I want to look at something on a little more human level. And I just thought of this the other day. I, didn't, I never realized that they went three days into the wilderness before they found water. Three days without water. And that's why I was asking you earlier, how long does it take, how long can a person go without water? And, you know, it said in normal circumstances, three days. If you're in a hot, dry, humid, or hot, dry desert place, it's going to be less. So basically, imagine, now we know it's been pretty hot here in Oklahoma, correct? We'd all agree with that. Can you imagine walking outside for three days in this heat without any water? Now, I don't know, I don't think, actually I have no way of knowing that it was that hot. Yesterday was 106 degrees when we were outside, me and Grant. But I don't know if it was that hot back then. But when you're hot and you're walking for long periods of time, you get thirsty. And so if you go a whole day of walking and you're not able to drink, that's pretty rough, wouldn't you say? And then you go another whole day without drinking any water. That's even rougher. And then you go the third day. So my point is, these people went three days, it appears that they went three days without water. And all of a sudden they see this big, beautiful, probably an oasis of water. And it's like, yes! And I don't think they were walking to that water. They were probably running. I mean, people were probably tripping over each other. Right? I mean, just imagine. And of course we're... We're just kind of speculating here because we don't know for sure. But human nature would, would say that they were running to the water. They get to the water. They begin to lap it up and they realize it's bad. It's poison. Whatever is wrong with it. They can't, it's undrinkable. Imagine how you would feel. You're dying of thirst. Actually, they probably felt like they were. Three days, sweaty, dry, thirsty. They see water. They go after it. They get it and it's undrinkable. They're like... Can't believe they begin to cry out, grumble, and complain. Begin to grumble and complain. The point I was wanting to make is a lot of times I've done this. I've belittled or minimized the challenges they were going through. And thinking, what is wrong with these people? Didn't they just see the miracle that God did for them? And yet they're just they're whining because they don't have a little bit of water. I mean, anybody else kind of think like that? Because it's easy to read the word, read it in there, and then, oh, man, I can't believe. You know, I wouldn't do that. But the point I want to make is they went through some serious trials. That was a hard thing. It wasn't just a a trivial situation. (laughs) Hey, Morgan. Everybody say hi to Morgan real quick. (laughs) <laughs> he did text me, so he is watching right now, so I better, I better shape up now. But anyway, the situation that I thought was interesting is, is they went through a hard situation. You go through hard situations. Some of you are going through very difficult situations. And when we look at what they went through, you know, they were hungry and they were thirsty and then they were hungry again. God provided. And, and it, I believe the word says it was about 10 times when they tested God. They went through these situations. God provided for them, even though they were whining, crying, griping and, and threatening to go back and everything. God still provided for them 
on and on and on and on and on. But one thing that's interesting, you know, they had that big praise and worship session of three days before. And they were singing some, an awesome song about Pharaoh being destroyed and, and how the inhabitants of the earth were going to hear about this and be afraid. And, and God was going to remove them and put his people in their place and everything. But then yet three days later, they did forget, seemed to forget about that. And then they thought God was wanting to kill them, as we see. Now let's turn to... Um, Numbers chapter In Numbers chapter 13, in verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men, out, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am given to the children of Israel. Send them to spy out the land that I'm, I'm giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of the fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. And so he picks out the 12 people. And including those names of people, two men that we recognize, we're familiar with as Joshua and Caleb. And so we know the story that they go into this wilderness, they go spy out the land. And they check it out and they, they take some of the fruit. It says they even took a, a cluster of grapes that was so big that it took two men um, to carry that cluster of grapes. Can you imagine how heavy, how big those grapes were? You know, I went on a trip with my dad and stepmom a few years ago. And um, she had bought us some snacks and she um, brought some grapes. And I had never in my life seen grapes this big before. They were, well, that's an exaggeration. I, I can't, they were big. <laughs> Biggest grape I'd ever seen. And, um, but I bet they would pale in comparison to what these guys had brought out. So they went into the land and they spied out and saw this wonderful fruit, this abundance of, um, of all this good stuff. And then they came back to the people. Let's see, in 26, now they departed and came back. Verse 26 of chapter 13. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. So they displayed all the fruit and all the stuff that are samples of what they brought back. So I'm sure the people were impressed, like, oh, my goodness, God really is giving us a wonderful land. Um, then verse 27, then they told him and said, OK, verse verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and are very strong, very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Look at verse, uh, in chapter 14. Now, after the people heard the report of the ten spies, 
of how big the giants were and how big the fortified cities were and everything and, and how there's no way that we'd be able to go and overcome these people. They heard that reply, but we hear what, what, uh, what was that, Joshua? But Caleb said, we can. Let's go now. We can, we can take this. It says verse 31 in chapter 13. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they have the children... And they gave the children of Israel a a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. We saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in theirs. And, of course, the people all freak out, and they begin to cry and and say, God brought us out here to die. Our children are going to die and all that kind of thing. Verse 6 and 14, But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of somebody's son, uh, who were among those who had spotted the land, tore their clothes. So the people were crying and everything, and then they were going to raise up leaders to go back. and said, we're going back to, to Egypt. In verse 7, and they all spoke, of all, of, they, um, they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to spot is an exceedingly good land. He's saying, come on, God, this is a wonderful land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Do not fear these giants. Do not fear these big, powerful, mighty people. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And the congregation said to stone them with stones. So... The people of Israel were believing the bad report of these big, scary people. And Joshua and Caleb are saying, please, guys, listen to us. Wonderful land. Who cares? They're big. We're going to take them down. Their protection is gone. God is with us. Let's go do it. And, of course, people didn't want to hear it. They wanted to kill them and then go back. And then all of a sudden, God shows up on the scene. It's not pretty. Uh, The ten spies get wiped out. And then the judgment is pronounced on them. That they were going to dwell in the land and the wilderness for 40 years, and those 20 years and up were going to die. She said, Just like you spoke about dying in the wilderness, what you said is going to come upon you, you will die in this land. And they did not get the inheritance that God promised and wanted to give them. Then my question is we look at all these people, including Joshua and Caleb. Was Joshua and Caleb exempt from the trials that all the children of Israel went through? Did they go through the same trials? Were they thirsty after going three days in the wilderness with no water just like everybody else? And were they hungry when there was no food and all that? My question is, how come you have these two men that went through the same trials as everybody else did, but they responded differently? They went to the same trials but responded differently. Verse 24 in chapter 14, when God's pronouncing judgment on them, verse 23, They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Different spirit in him. Now, he's referring to his attitude because 
The Holy Spirit did not indwell the people back then. The Holy Spirit would come upon them. And and matter of fact, uh, in a few verses before that, it talks about the leaders receiving the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit upon or the God's Spirit upon them to, to lead and everything. So he's not talking about being filled with the Spirit like we are today. But his attitude was different. My Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. And in verse 30, except for Caleb, the son of that one guy again, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you, um, which I swore I'd make you dwell in it. So God highlights Joshua and Caleb, and he talks about Caleb having a different attitude, a different spirit in him. What made these two men different, respond differently, although they went through the same exact trials that everybody else went through? And I think I have an answer. I believe the Holy Spirit showed me something that was pretty interesting. If you would turn back to uh, Exodus chapter 15. Now, you remember the the children of Israel, the bad report was of these Canaan, you know, the giants, uh, the descendants of Anak. But the Canaanites, you know, were were named amongst them as as far as the big bad guys. Look in Exodus 15, chapter 15. It says, Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take a hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatest, greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over. Earlier, when they first came out of Egypt and they had that great deliverance and they sang that song of Moses. And they first talked about Pharaoh. But then remember, later on in the song, they begin to talk about what was going to happen in the future. And included in that declaration were the Canaanites. In other words, the children of Israel were singing prophetically that God was going to give them victory over the Canaanites. And then here, sometime later, I'm not sure of the time frame, but sometime later, when actually God says, all right, go up and look at what I'm about to give you. And they faced the Canaanites. Oh, my goodness, look how big and bad and scary these people are. Now, why is it that they failed, that they reacted a certain way, but Joshua and Caleb responded a different way? Now, remember, they all sang that song. It says the children of Israel sang that song. So Joshua and Caleb sang, which we'll call the song of Moses, sang that song just like everybody else did. Here's what I believe is the difference between Joshua, Caleb, and everybody else who reacted uh, the wrong way. Have you ever heard of what they call self-talk? Anybody ever heard of that phrase, self-talk? Can somebody give me a definition of self-talk? Talking to yourself, plain and simple. <laughs> That's right. There you go. It's when you talk to yourself, you know, okay, you can, you know, last night I was watching um, reruns, not reruns, but the play of the Olympics. I was watching a little bit of Olympics. I was finishing up with this and I was wide awake. Everybody else was asleep. I was wide awake. I won't tell you what time I came to bed, but I was wide awake And so I needed something to help me wind down. And so I was watching the Olympics and it happened to be the weightlifting. And these tiny little women, I mean, two foot five, I don't know how big they were. 
It was amazing how, but they were lifting. Can somebody tell me how much 108 kilograms is? <laughs> My, that's what they were lifting. 200 and something pounds. And these women that were probably 10 pounds each. What's that? Those girls, 106 pounds. So you saw that, that whole thing. So I'm watching these little, these little cute little things. And they're lifting this weight. I mean, they're just, but it was interesting. I was watching them and this one girl came out and then she, she lifted it and then she didn't get it. And I guess they get two shots at it. And when she missed it, I was, I saw the look in her eye. I knew she wasn't going to get it. I could see the look in her eye that she was beaten. She couldn't. And then sure enough, she, you know, she pulls it up and then she, she doesn't get it. But this one lady, I noticed as they had a close up of her and she had this down, she was talking to herself. She was talking like, you know, since she was speaking another language, and I had it on mute anyway. I don't know what she's saying, but she said, I can do this. I can beat this. I beat. I did it yesterday. I can do this. I can, you know, she was building herself up. I can do this. And sure enough, she got it. Boom. 200 plus pounds. This little 10 pound girl. I mean, it's amazing. But self-talk is when you talk to yourself. And we pretty much all do it now. And I was looking this up on the Internet and and self-talk can be verbal. You're talking under your breath. You're talking, you know, you stupid idiot. I can't believe you did that again. Man, you're so dumb. You can't do anything right. How man? I'm just going to be just like my old man who who was a loser. I'm going to be a loser, too. You know, the self-talk. Or man, car broke down. Man, this stinks. How am I going to afford this? And, and whatever the situation is, is we, we talk, maybe not loud enough where people around us can hear us, but we talk, the self-talk that's going on constantly. And they say that it can be your thoughts going around over and over and over. Here's what I believe happened. I believe the Holy Spirit showed this to me, but I can't prove it necessarily. But you just, you judge it yourselves. I believe that because of what I see, Scripture puts such a heavy emphasis on praise and worship. I mean, praise and worship is such a major key to the kingdom that if we would get a hold of this one principle, we'll be be light years ahead of where we are. But because the scriptures put such a premium on praise and worship, I believe Caleb and Joshua, their self-talk was that song that they sang. In other words, when they, they, they were singing this song, they all sang it. And then as they, they realize God is with us, God cares for us, God has got our back, God is awesome. And so then when they came to this next challenge of three days with no water, when everybody starts grumbling, complaining, I believe they're rehearsing, uh, Joshua and Caleb are rehearsing God's previous deliverance. It's like, okay, we don't have any water. We, are we going to die? Wait a minute. God just did that to those people, that wonderful thing. Why would he allow this to stop us? Plus, they remember the promise. God is giving them a land flowing with milk and honey. And so they kept before them. Now, again, this is speculation. They kept before them in their mind, in their soul, in their spirit, what God was going to do for them. What he had done for them and what he was going to do. Because remember, God said that um, Joshua had a different spirit in him. Or I always get them mixed up. Joshua and Caleb. One of them had a different spirit in him. And he, full, he followed me or obeyed me fully. He followed me fully. Which means that no time during that whole ordeal 
did they ever falter and, and fall into the grumbling complaining? And so the point is, when I mention that praise and worship is huge, I believe our self-talk needs to be praise and worship. You know, Psalms chapter 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Continually, 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 continually. I think that's ongoing. Ongoing. I believe Joshua and Caleb figured that out somehow. And when they begin to face opposition or face challenges, they begin to rehearse that song. The horse and the rider were thrown into the sea and they just begin to go over and over and over and over with that. Because we remember when Joshua turned back to Numbers chapter 14. It says, but Joshua, this, okay, Joshua and Caleb, I'm not going to try to pronounce their dad's names because I get all messed up. It says, verse 7, they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spile is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And then backing up in verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able. We are well able to overcome it. They saw the same giants. They saw the sons of Anak, these big nine foot guys, however big they were, Goliath's brothers. And yet they were like, we can do this. So when you are going through a trial, when you're going through a hardship, the first thing that's going to come at you is doubt, unbelief, discouragement, frustration, fear. All that stuff's going to come at you. I promise you that. What is your reaction going to be? What is your current reaction? How do you typically respond? If you want to change that response, that reaction... Then if you begin to let God's word, let his, and what I mean by self-talk, it can be a praise and worship song, a song that you know, and just sing that over and over and over again. Or you can just be declaring God's goodness. God, you are so good. You're good all the time. I love you. You always look after my best interests. You promise to meet my needs according to your riches and glory. You promise to take care of me. Last year you did this wonderful thing for me. Father, you're not going to leave me out here to die. But it can't start when the trial comes. If you wait until the trial comes to begin to kick in the gear, your praise and worship, then you're a little late. The self-talk needs to be happening before that happens. I will bless the Lord at all times. Your praise will continually be in my mouth. When you get out of bed in the morning, begin to praise the Lord. Just begin to dwell on his goodness so that when the trials come, you react. What's in you is going to come out. What's in you is going to come out. You know, the Bible says that we shouldn't be surprised when challenges and trials come our way. But how many of us are surprised when a challenge comes our way? It's like, I can't believe this is happening. Are you kidding me? It's like, God, did you know about this? We are shocked. 
And I'm not saying we should embrace and welcome. Oh, here's another trial, another opportunity. You know, I'm not saying that necessarily. But we shouldn't be surprised. You know, a, a trial, transition, whatever, is an opportunity, is the most wonderful opportunity to grumble and gripe and complain. It's easy. I mean, you can, you can let an abundance of grumbling go forth. But it's also, and then, and let's be clear, grumbling and complaining is dishonoring to God. It is very dishonoring. I mean, look how he responded to their grumbling and complaining. He wasn't pleased with it at all. God takes it personally when we grumble and complain because we're telling him to his face, you have no idea what you're doing. You do not know how to take care of me. You are doing a lousy job. I would be better off doing it myself. Because remember what they were doing? Let us go back to Egypt. Let us raise up leaders for ourselves and go back. God doesn't know what he's doing. These people that he brought have put forth as leaders, they have no clue. So we're going to be better off doing it our own self, our own way, and we're going to go back. So when we grumble and complain, that's in essence what we're doing. You have no idea what you're doing. I'm going to do it myself. Now, of course, we don't think that way when we're grumbling and complaining. But if you want to just put away all the stuff, it's pretty much what it is. So when we grumble and complain, it is not. It is dishonoring to our father. Very dishonoring. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. So the reverse is, by faith, you please him. So when an opportunity, when, when a, a challenge, a trial comes, it is an opportunity to please God. It's an opportunity to please God. And you know, if I were to ask you to raise your hands, how many of you guys want awesome, wonderful testimonies that just blow people away? It's like, oh, man. I mean, you, you hear the testimonies of people, whether it's on TV or you just hear these wonderful testimonies. It's like, oh, my goodness. And it just makes you want to weep or cry or rejoice and praise God. But think of the trials they had to go through to get that awesome testimony. We forget about that, don't we? Just think about the end result. I mean, think about the biggest miracle that we see in, the, in, in, in Exodus of the horse and the riders being drowned like that, but they went through a serious trial. They thought their lives were about to be ended by the Egyptians. But then when God came through and protected them and everything, they're like, "Woo, yeah, check this out. We're bad. Mm-hmm. Until we don't have any more water in our water bottles. So a trial is an t- opportunity to, to honor and glorify God. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please him. You know, praise is not dancing a little jig or singing a nice little song to put God in a good mood so he'll do something nice for you. See, a lot of times we think of praise and worship, okay, if I dance a little bit, if I sing a nice little song, I'll make God happy, then he'll bless me and help me. That's kind of how we look at it. That's not what praise and worship's about. It's about lining ourselves up with heaven. It's about putting ourselves in a position of honoring God. It's saying in despite the circumstances, God, I know this, this, this situation is tough. I do not like this. But I still love you. Just like Cornell was saying earlier, 
How we need to say, you know, amen. What was it again we said, Cornell? Hallelujah, amen. Regardless of the circumstances, hallelujah, we need to praise. Praise, worship. Hallelujah, God, you are awesome. It is all about you. Praise and worship is also a deliberate and intentional intentional act of putting your attention on him. It is posturing yourself to receive grace and wisdom so you can move forward well. So when you're worshiping him, you're not trying to manipulate God into doing something for you. But you're saying, God, I look to you. I love you. I acknowledge you. I worship you. And I've had to come to the point. You know, because your soul can get all wrapped up when, especially if you're in a, a trial and it's been going on for some time and you've been praying and praying and begging and begging and all that kind of stuff and you don't see it change and your soul, you just get frustrated. It's like, God, when are you going to do something? When is this going to change? And you just get all frustrated. You know what I'm saying? And that's all you can think about. You're at work. You're doing work stuff. But all you can think about is that situation you're going through. And it begins just to eat away at your soul. And then you let that trial become your God because you give it all kinds of allegiance and homage and you, you're giving all kinds of attention and affection to it. And it's becoming an idol. And it becomes bigger than God. God begins to diminish and your trial begins to increase. Just like the sons of Anak. You know, the children of Israel, they saw those giants and they're like, whoa, those guys are big. Joshua and Caleb saw those little giants compared to their big God, and said, you guys don't got nothing on us. Same problem, different perspective. You know, we are, um, hopefully, as a family, plan on going on vacation, going up north where the Norwegians live. And and it's interesting because last week, you know, we're saving up our pennies, saving up our money, getting ready for vacation and everything. And all of a sudden, three big things hit. Bam, bam, bam. I mean, three big trials. That was about to wipe out our vacation. Totally wipe it out. And I remember Lisa and I were in the office. And we're, because it's just like these things were happening. This, and then this, and then this. I mean, like, just the fighter hitting us. Bam, bam. Just like, oh, my goodness. And it was looking very discouraging because it's like we're about to have to cancel our trip. Because we can't do the trip and these situations. And right now, <clears throat> as we, you know, we begin to encourage each other. Remember how God has helped. You know, we've been through stuff like this before, but remember how God has always been faithful. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. We encourage one another. Then we begin to pray for these situations. And one by one, they're dissolving. Matter of fact, it looks like they're all gone. But I'm still waiting to check everything out to make sure. But they were big. I mean, huge. I'll give you one of them. We live out in the country, live on a water well. Live on a well. And all of a sudden, in the kitchen, you turn on the water. And the water's going, then it goes to nothing or a little trickle, drip, nothing. And then you let the water sit for a while, you turn it back on, and it goes for a little bit, then it goes out. You know, Lisa's water and the animals, and the water goes out. It's like, oh, my goodness. Looked like our water well was going out. 
you don't know, water wells are expensive, especially if you have to redig a well, that kind of thing. We're talking major expense. And so that was one of the things that just hit us because it just started happening. And I remember one morning I was up and I was praying and I was having a conversation with the Lord concerning this well. And um, I was like, man, Lord, you know, praying, 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 worshiping, getting my posture right with him. And he told me, he said, it's, it's not the well. There's nothing wrong with the well. Hmm. So I text the neighbor friend who's got a ranch and that kind of thing and ask him some questions. And from his answers, it, it, he confirmed that it's probably not the will. It's something else. <clears throat> so I asked the Holy Spirit to show me. I went out to the well house. I opened it up and I asked him to show me what it was, what the problem was. And he pointed to this box, this thing. I don't even know what it's called, but this thing in there. And it's a new thing because we just got it replaced less than a year ago. So he pointed it to me, and I was like, okay, that's the problem. Now, the only problem was I had no idea what to do with that thing. So I was like, okay, it's that thing, but what do I do now? So I called the well people, the guy who, the company that does that kind of thing. Had him come out there. He turned on the water. <clears throat> you know how when you take your car to the mechanic, you say, you know, it's doing this and it's this, and then the mechanic gets a hold of it and he won't do it. You know, and you want to kick the car. Come on, act up. <laughs> come on, show them how bad you are. Car acts real nice, you know. Then when you get the car home, then it starts doing this little thing again. Well, that's what the well seemed to be doing. It was, I mean, water was just flowing. I mean, beautifully. And water was just flying. The guy was holding the hose looking at me. So what's, what's wrong? Nothing. Water's just gushing out. At least it texts me or yells at me or something. Put some buckets under that water to save that water. Like, oh, yeah. So I put some buckets. Anyway. I mean, beautiful, running, hard running water. And then he was looking around and, and he said, you know what? He said, he took the cover off that thing that I don't know what it's called. He said, I bet this is your problem right here. And I was tempted to say, yeah, the Holy Spirit already told me that. But I, I didn't. But he took the cover off and he showed me how there's connectors and, you know, electricity. When they come together, it kicks off the pump and then it, it pulls the water up. Those connectors don't connect. Then the electricity didn't cut on. The well doesn't pump, and so no water comes in. He says what happens is little bugs and things get in there, get between the connectors. It doesn't make a connection until they fry all the way up. Then the connection's made. So that's why sometimes it would cut off for a while, and then later on it would cut back on. The little bugs are getting fried up. And then finally, and I said, that's it? He said, yeah, that's it. I said, so uh, does it appear that anything's wrong with my well? He said, there's nothing wrong with your well. I said, how much do I owe you? He said, nothing. He said, if, if I have to come out and fix something, well, I'll charge you then. So nothing. And holy, he confirmed what the Holy Spirit showed me. But see, that was a huge thing. That was a huge thing. But the cool thing was, <clears throat> is we didn't have to go through what we, what I used to go through. Oh, man, I can't believe it's a will. You know, that whining and feeling sorry for yourself and all that kind of thinking that God's going to um, respond to your whining favorably. You know, and he typically doesn't. But we didn't have to go through that because we were able to focus on his goodness in the past. Because we believe God wants us to go on vacation with our family. So we believe he's going to protect that. And so whatever comes our way, we believe God's going to help us. And that's what we're seeing him do. You know, something that blessed me. Uh, I'm not going to get through all these three points today, but something that that blessed me the other day. 
Uh, Grant is, is uh, he's one of the youth going to camp, and he's also going to Chiapas on the mission trip that we're taking later in the fall. <clears throat> and he realizes that it costs money, which his daddy's not going to give him, and so he's got to raise his money. And so he was out beating the streets. We as a family make these, some of you are familiar with these little crosses, these cross necklaces that we make. And so we make them, and the boys sell them. And from Trey, Bryant, Joseph Grant, Benjamin, and Julia, uh, Julia's just getting started. She's new. But um, over the years, they've raised money by selling these for their mission trips and their, and their summer camps. Well, Grant found out from his youth pastor that he still owed 100 bucks for his camp. This was last week. And <clears throat> we've been doing this since uh, 2006, selling these crosses. And, um, but anyway, we were going out. Now, we've, we've blanketed Stillwater several times over. I mean, several times over. You know, we ring the doorbell. Oh, it's you again. You know, that's what I, I feel like they're going to say. But, um, but God's just been so wonderful and gracious. And, and I remember we were at the parking lot, and it's like, man, it's a thousand degrees outside. Grant's got to raise this money, and so we have to get out there and do this. And so I was thinking, okay, Lord, what neighborhoods do we go to? You know, what neighborhood do I need to go to so Grant will be successful? Here it is, the end of the month, and our our Experience has been at the end of the month, people have spent all their money, so they don't have any money to give to some little kid beating on their door, typically. And I remember saying, Lord, where do I go so that we can have a, so we can help Grant do this? And he told me, he said, it doesn't matter where you go, I'll bless you wherever you go. Like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. I need to know the right neighborhood. And he said, it doesn't matter, you just pick one, I'll bless it. It's like, hmm, okay, I'll try this one. And I went to one we'd been to several times over. And it's like people were throwing money at Grant. It was great. One lady, we, these things cost $12. A lady uh, gave him a check for $30 and said, I just want one. And another person just, here, I don't want to cross here. Here's the donation. And um, just like that, that and another time we had all his camp money. And then we go out again yesterday and I was thinking, and it was 106 degrees, by the way, yesterday, just to let you know. I'm not grumbling and complaining by any means, but it was hot. And I remember it's like, okay, um, Lord, where do we go? And he said, you pick a place. And we, I picked a thought of this neighborhood that we went to last year, and it kind of didn't go over too well. And we went, and uh, Grant was just selling them left and right. I'm thinking, it's the end of the month. This is crazy. And, and Grant, he got it. Matter of fact, one guy wrote him a check, and he said, I just want one. And we, neither one of us were paying attention to him. Well, later on, we realized he wrote him a check for $50. It's like, man, and it just happened. It was just happened like this. Now, it's never happened like this before because I had my, my strategy where, okay, we picked the right neighborhood. You know, you think you go to the right neighborhood, and you're going to, you know, come into this land flowing with milk and honey, and it'd be zero. You go into this other neighborhood where it doesn't look like anything and the people just throw money at you kind of thing. But the thing that the Lord showed me is he's got our back. He cares about us. And he told me, I mean, he specifically said, you pick a place, I'll bless it. It doesn't matter where you go. So yesterday I was thinking, okay, where is there a lot of shade? Because it doesn't matter. The people are going to bless us anyway. So where's a lot of shade? And sure enough, there wasn't enough shade because I have to park the car in the shade. And anyway, but. <clears throat> Here's the whole point about this. And the, and the first key is, is uh, praise and worship is a big deal. 
It needs to become our self-talk. It needs to be our self-talk. God cares about us. When we're going through the trials, when you get hit in the face with a trial, that is a good opportunity for you to strap on your seatbelt, grab a hold of his hand, and say, okay, Daddy, it's on you now. I don't know what to do. And you do that practically. You know when people say, give it to God. Just trust God. It's like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to hear that because I don't know how to do that. A practical way to do that is when you're going through a trial, you say, Lord, I love you. I pray, I thank you that you are so good. And don't think about the problem at the time, but revert to a time when you experienced the goodness of God in a tangible way. Maybe when you got saved. Or when he answered a prayer directly and it was something that really encouraged you. Begin to think about that and thank God for that situation. And then remember that God is good all the time. And whether or not he changes the circumstances, he will change your perspective. There's been times when my soul has been eaten up by, you know, circumstances and everything. And I get to the point, I do a lot of my yelling at God in the car on the way to work. You know, I'm just yelling, God, I'm tired of this. I can't take this anymore and all this kind of stuff. But then, you know, like David did, he would yell in the Psalms and then his, everything would change and he begin to worship God. Well, there's times I come to the point and I say, God, if this circumstance never changes, I'm still going to worship you passionately and aggressively nothing's going to hold me back nothing's going to slow me down or even cause me to to hesitate i'm going to come after you with everything and it makes me more aggressive in my pursuit of him because he's worth it and two things will happen the circumstance won't change but the grace of god has increased in my life and i'm able to go through it well or the circumstances change in this last situation with our our trip being in jeopardy, the circumstances change. Boom, 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 big. It's like, wow, this is incredible. So let's all stand.